Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 428 with Tony Tellen. It's doing big things for small audiences instead of doing small things for big audiences. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's soundtrackyourbrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Tony Tellen, my man, Tony. Are you feeling unstoppable today? <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm feeling very unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that's what we like to hear. Yeah. 20 years ago, Tony Tillon stumbled upon the Tazo Tea offices. He would go on to serve as the right-hand man for tea legend Stephen Smith. In 2015, with Stephen Smith's passing, Tony Tillon promised to continue the craft and creativity that made Smith one of the most recognized names in tea. Today, Tony Talon serves as head team maker for Stephen Smith T. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. There's more to your story and who you are, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You know, I think the best thing I could provide is uh, start where you are, work with what you got, and do the best you can do. And start where you are, work with what you got, do the best you can do. And Dive it's, into it's that. It's a little cheesy, but you know, uh, man, I love the cheese. I think oftentimes you you tend to start a plan with the expectation that you'll do something before, right? I'll get my foundation built, I'll get this idea going, and then I can launch this product, or I'll do this, and I'll find a space, and then I can do this. And it's sometimes it's it's. It's nice to remind yourself that you can start where you are. Yeah. But you're not ready now. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't start. Yeah, that's that's such a great point. I think people wait for things to be just right. Like, I need this to be there. I need that. Things are never going to be just right. Just start where you can. And a lot of people, I mean, they, they think, well, still, like, I need a space or I need this or I need that. You know, go work for the best. And that's exactly what you did. If you don't have the resources you know, go start learning, go start networking, and that's starting, you know, uh, which kind of, you know, ties really well into uh, where it all started for you, you know, surrounding yourself with amazing people. So was there anything that happened before meeting this 
this uh, master of tea, or I you don't got, like that word? I just I, got damn me. lucky. No, I don't mind calling Steve a master. Um, <laughs> I'm not a master. I, uh, I'm definitely not a master. I often refer myself as like this vast but very shallow ocean of knowledge. You know, I, I know a lot about a little about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about you know one style of tea. So my industry, Eric, is one that uh, is. 4,000 years old. Mm. It has three to 4,000 different varietals and flavors and aromas. And that's just if you're looking at Camellia sinensis. If you look at herbs and botanicals and peels, flowers, roots, barks, seeds. You're doing cool stuff with fruit now, too. Fruit, all of yeah. this stuff. You know, it's uh, our pantry is is expansive and it, it's impossible to, to be a master in every single one of those. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I think where, you know, where my experience has provided me some insight is just how these can play with each other um, and how you can make something that is more than the sum of the parts, if you will. Um, and, 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 and being somewhat naive in some areas allows me to break rules and do things without really trying in a way, (laughs) 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 to be honest, you know, so. Well, listening to you talk, it also kind of reminds me of the reality of just being a restaurateur, uh, because there's so many variables. There's so many aspects of what it takes to be successful, social, emotional intelligence, uh, accounting, uh, marketing, uh, food, cooking, you know, like all these things that you have to be a pro at to really compete in today's market. And it's very similar to, you know, all the ingredients that you have with making tea and the different verticals that there are within the, the world of tea that you can specialize in that makes complete sense that you don't consider yourself a master. And I think the most successful people in this industry don't consider themselves masters because they're always learning. They're always trying to find the next thing. They they always think they're missing something. And that, that forces them to be the best because they never stop that process of evolving. Yeah. No, I and I and I think there's a lot of parallels between restaurants and tea in a way. They're both kind of crowded and saturated. Yeah. There's both a lot of options. And to your point, um, you know, you can make the best tea blend in the world, but if you don't market it well, if it doesn't have the right, you know, cost of goods, the right you know, pricing strategies, if the business sense isn't behind it, then it's it's not going to work. Yeah. Right? So let's let's bring it back to when yeah. you first got involved in the world of tea. When was that? I in 1998, I moved to Portland, Oregon. I grew up in a small town in Midwest, uh, in 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 Iowa, actually, okay. uh, called Oskaloosa. And uh, I vacationed here. A okay. high school mate, you know, had lived here for a few years, was a bike messenger. And so I came out and we uh, we went hiking and backpacking and we went up in the gorge and up in the mountains. And, How old were you when you came out here? Cheers. Uh, just 20. I thought I'm trying to age you or anything. Yeah, around 20. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All and, right. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, long story short, I had been making a lot of bad decisions in my life prior to that. Uh, out of high school, I didn't really do much as far as college and, and I do you mind getting into details as what do you mean by bad decisions? Just like, oh, just partied a lot and yeah. just made, you know, it wasn't like I did anything that was super stupid, like a but lot I didn't of do, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just didn't really do anything that was productive yeah, as okay. far as preparing myself for, yeah, you know, figuring and, it out. Uh, you know, I had a lot of really crappy jobs and did this and that. And, uh, you know, I worked in a Chinese kitchen was my first job for a couple of years and I was always in the service industry. I was a waiter uh, and I was kind of a sous chef, if you believe it or not, for a Chinese restaurant. And uh, uh, which was just chopping up a bunch of vegetables, basically. (laughs) Uh, uh, But anyway, I moved to California and uh, um, I partied a lot there and things kind of unraveled a bit. And then I moved back to Iowa and, and it was that first experience away from home and making those bad decisions that really, so when I moved to Portland, 
I was hell bent on not making those decisions yeah. again, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was trying. I was, I was get a job. I would make good money. I would figure out a way to support myself, and I would get out from underneath my mom and yeah. my dad's wings, basically. Mm-hmm. And I so, so the day I arrived was when uh, the Beastie Boys released "Hello Nasty." Uh, Music Millennium up in uh, Northwest Twenty Third had a big, you know, CD release party. So I went up there. Do you notice that I'm wearing a reference to the Beastie Boys right now? I didn't until you just <laughs> said it. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. They were a bit. I, I love that those guys. So, so I, I, I'm gonna point out the T-shirt real quick. I was I. I interviewed the folks over at Olympia uh, Provisions, and they have this T-shirt called uh, "Fight for Your Right to Pate." <laughs> uh, so anyway, keep going. Sorry, decided. No, that's all right. So we went, you know, and so it was that evening that I arrived in Portland, and I only mention it because uh, if it wasn't for that release party, I probably would um, uh, have the dates wrong. And then the next morning, I was going to ride. I rode my BMX bike from a, a, a shithole of a little house in Southeast Portland to downtown to visit a temp agency and along the way i rode past tasso and to be honest i don't really remember why i stopped um i was gonna say like what was it about the like the the brand the the sign or the the area made you stop it was well there was a guy named john kesnowski who is like uh the most portland portland person you've ever met he's just weird in a very cool way uh and i know he was sitting on the dock and it was a beautiful day and it was kind of huck finn like he was eating a sandwich on the dock and and I don't know if I was asking for directions. I don't really remember why, but I started a conversation with him, and uh, uh, and I found out that they um, were looking for somebody to be in the warehouse team, and they had just gotten approval to hire a new person the day before. And uh, and so I started talking to the warehouse manager, um, and within a couple hours, I was filling out paperwork, and uh, I started the next morning. Nice. Um, and I've been in T ever since, and uh, and so I was I worked in the warehouse for six to eight months, and then I moved into blending, where you know Steve, that's where I really started working with Steve, and and at that time he would you know write out instructions for a recipe and he'd hand them to me. I would go downstairs, I'd pull the uh, the raw materials, I'd put together a fifty pound or a hundred pound batch of it, if you will. Um, and then I take a sample and I go upstairs to our lab, uh, which was uh, above his office at the time, um, and I'd prepare it. And then I would wait for him to come in and, and taste it and smell it and make sure that it, it was to his liking. And he would most often write, you know, changes that he would like to see made. Um, and then I, I would execute them. Okay. And I did that for many years. Um, so let's let's uh, tap the brakes a little bit. Go back. Uh, you got this job. You're working on the floor. Packaging, was it? Uh, warehouse and then warehouse. blending. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, um, what, what, what was going on during those, those six to eight months, right? Where you're working in the warehouse, were you getting ahead? What were you doing? Right. I mean, were you trying to move up or did it just happen? Like, how did you progress into that? Role? I wasn't, I was young and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a career minded person by any means. I was just happy to have a job. Yeah. I was happy to have a paycheck. Um, and, uh, I was, you know, living with a bunch of bike messengers and there was, you know, 12 of us in a, in a four bedroom house. So my rent was next to nothing. And, uh, <clears throat> I was just having fun. And, uh, and the team around us, the people that worked there, uh, were, were fun people. And we just had a lot of fun doing whatever it was, whether it was folding boxes or blending tea or packing tea or 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 slurping and spitting tea in the lab. It was just a fun atmosphere. And it's actually um, something that you know many of us that are that were part of that team um, in the original days have 
kind of wondered what created such a a cool environment. And that's what I was you know? I was just wondering right now, like what was going on, like what was the 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 chemistry, what was the 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 mix up of people, like what caused this this fun atmosphere? Do you think it was very selective in hiring, or what was going on there? I mean, they didn't sound too selective. They just hired you off the street. No no offense or anything, but like, <laughs> what was going on? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think you know sometimes it, it might just be luck. Um, mm. uh, you know we've. I've seen it in other places. You were just over at Olympia Provisions. I think that there's elements of that that uh, in Elias's you know, place. I think from uh, the, the perspective that you had, uh, it seems like luck. But at the same time, think about who uh, Steve Smith was or Stephen Smith was. Uh, what he was able to achieve, at, even up to that point, like he was kind of a big deal in the T-world. So it seems like luck that all these great people were in this space. But I, I feel like a lot of that comes from the, like when you really strive to be amazing and you, and you put your nose down and you do the work and you develop this reputation, all this luck starts to happen. Like all these incredible people start to like get on my team, but maybe they're trying to, to go to work for the best. Right. Uh, do you think that might've had anything to do with yeah, it? Yeah, no. And I think you're right. And I wasn't trying to, um, I, I think you're right, Eric. And I wasn't trying to maybe, um, uh, gloss over you know the decisions that led to that environment or mm -hmm. or you know the strategy that led to that environment um and there's an aura and a sense that yeah i i agree with you you can call it what you want but yeah. usually um uh, people that are successful and are doing cool things they do attract mm -hmm. people to come absolutely and and, uh, and check them out right? yeah 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 for sure so i think it's a little bit of all of those things okay uh, but it was a fun environment and uh it was one where you could work a 14-hour day and bust your ass but really feel really good about yeah. it at the end of the day what and, uh, what what made it a fun environment though like in the sense of like what was going on that was fun about it was just the the camaraderie the conversation like take us through like what that picture looked like well i mean i think it was mostly the camaraderie and i think it was uh this was a group of people where most of the time when our our day was done we would go out and have a beer together um we usually hung out after mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. you know with each other um it was one of our mantras uh, i don't know i can't remember i think it was called a core value of the company was to have fun you yeah. know and that was important to us it was built into the dna of that company and it is at smith teamaker as well it's mm. something you know i think we you know tried to um coin it smell the roses or something you know but but we need to have time everybody needs to have time to to enjoy themselves have fun you know your projects can't be only focused on these you know siloed areas yeah. within the company right you need to be able to give people an opportunity to just cut loose let's and, go deeper in this yeah. uh so this idea this core value of having fun obviously it's not always going to be fun like the cucka does hit the fan every once in a while most often and it does yeah, yes. yeah. and if things don't get things get unfun temporarily sure when that happens when you recognize that you've strayed from your core value to have fun how do you bring it back well i think in that environment if you've already set the stage by creating a team that has that feeling of camaraderie then you're not alone and so when you have to you know put in a very long day and do something that isn't necessarily that uh rewarding you're doing it with somebody and you're sharing that burden you know, um, this was, you know, uh, the president would come down on a big day and help us pick orders. Um, this wasn't a, you know, the, the corporate were up in the office and the worker bees were busting their ass and mm -hmm. didn't really know what was going on. It really was a come together. Let's get this job done. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think um, it's important um, to lead by example like mm -hmm. that. Right. Yeah. Um, you've heard, I mean, you, uh, it's kind of a romantic notion, you know, don't ask somebody to do what you wouldn't do yourself. Right. Yep. Um, and there's, uh, but, but doing it, 
<laughs> speaks a lot, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, and, and so, you know, you, you, you see the president or CEO of a company come into the factory floor and sit on the line, not for 10 minutes as a photo op, but for four to five hours. You'd be amazed the impact that has on the crew. What impact does that have? Well, I think it just shows that, you know, we're in this together. Yeah. That this isn't a goal that's being, at, I'm not paying you to do something. I'm asking you to help me get mm. something done. And yes. that's and that's a bigger deal. Yeah, um, we used to, uh, you know, and there's a double-edged sword here, Eric. That you'll probably spot and ask me about this, but I think there's a lot of benefit for giving people a sense of ownership. Yeah, and whether that ownership is through, um, you know, stock options and stuff like that, or whether uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be linked to a financial perspective. I don't think, at least, I think. But what what matters, no matter how you go about that, is that feeling of um, the goals we have, the desire we have. Is, is not mine, I'm asking you to do, but it's ours, yeah. right? And that's the that's the important thing. So listening to you talk, I can't help uh, but think about this book uh, called Behave, The Biology of Humans at Our Best and Worst. I think that's the title. I just looked it up, I already forgot what it was. Uh, and the, <laughs> and uh, uh, we actually had to edit this up just so I could find the title and I already forgot it. That's how bad my memory is. But in that book, they were talking um, basically about how humans work, the biology of humans uh, at our best and our worst, right? And th there's a little section about uh, a division, right? When there's a division between two different tribes, right? Uh, and like the, the tribes being maybe management and like the worker bees. But when there's that divide, it turns into us versus them, us and them. And when you have that us and them, that's where divide starts to happen. But if you're on the floor all the time, working beside your people, like you say, working with me, not for me, then you don't have that divide. It's us. It's we together. And that's so powerful, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think there's obviously some practical, you know, applications where it becomes difficult at times. Right. And you also have to be able to divide and conquer, yep. you know, and, and, and so it's finding a balance with those things. Right. Beautiful. And you know, I'm not, I'm not a pro at this by any means, but, um, but I do think uh, for many reasons, there was an environment that uh, those people that were part of those early days at Tazo still remember and try to replicate that. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I don't really put a lot of energy uh, into into trying to, I guess, replicate might be the bad word. Um, it would be great if it would exist again. Yeah. I guess is the best way to say it. Okay. You can't um, make something. It, it's not, if you try really hard, it, it won't happen the same. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was something that happened organically. And to your point, I think that there was, there was decisions being made that influenced that. I'm not saying that it was just like pure luck of the cosmos, but it was something that is, even if you had the same people try to do it again, it might not work. Okay. I yeah. hear you. Yeah. It, it was a very interesting time. Probably in the world of T2, I feel like T was really starting to, spread around that time maybe it was yeah, like did you guys catch a wave a little, a little bit like well, there some excitement i mean steve was good at a lot of things and um those uh that are friends of his um when we get together we argue over which one he was best is he a better <laughs> salesman or an entrepreneur or a marketer or a um flavor expert right all and the above <laughs> he did all of these things yeah. and and um you know where was i going with that i think uh, one of the things that he was good at is he was a little always ahead of his time, just mm -hmm. a little bit, right? We had frozen tea popsicles at Tazo in 1998, um, just like, you know, the old school popsicle and, and on the stick with these clever little, you know, expressions that you'd find out once you ate the whole thing. And they were fruit juice and, and real tea brewed and then frozen around this stick, right? I'll bet that would sell. 
today. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 1998, it was a difficult proposition yeah. to get into, right, kind of thing. And then one of the first jobs I had at Taza was opening up cases and cases of those and throwing them in the dumpster because it just wasn't working. Uh, but <laughs> but you got to try. And for every, for every success you have, you probably have three, four, five failures. Or that more. Just, that, that just flop. Exactly. So um, that, Dude, I've got one a seven-year-old right now, Eric. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you the one thing that, um, you know, tea and business has, has given me a lot of opportunities to try and grow myself personally. Kids are a huge opportunity to, to evaluate your own self, right? Because yeah. they're little miniature versions of you, right? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and we were just having this conversation the other day. Cooper and I, my oldest, is, is I'm like, you have to fail. If you have, if you're not failing, then you're not really even trying, yeah. right? Kind of thing. And so, you know, what uh, the world sees is what we edit it, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I've got a lot of, of cool products that we've made, but um, behind that are hundreds that were not that great. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. So let's bring it back to the the chronological path that we're on before. Eventually, you moved to mixing, and this is when you're starting to work side by side. Yep. Uh, when did your passion for tea really start to develop? Was it around this time, or was it, was it about that time actually? Because it was completely new to me. You know, I grew up in a um, in a farming area in southeast um, uh, Iowa, and you know, we had sun tea uh, and iced tea in the summertime, and you know, you drink it with a ton of ice and shitloads of sugar, yeah. uh, and it was. Uh, you know, in these big 48 ounce, big gulp cups, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but that's the only tea I knew of. Right. Um, and, and here I was, you know, asked to, and we, we were, we had, you know, cooting shahs and, uh, and, and oolongs and, and all of these different types that it was all new to me. So it was just a completely blank slate. There was nothing to really compare it to. I was just, you know, kind of lost in this world that I knew nothing about. And that intrigued me. Mm. And, um, and Steve was, hella busy at the time and so he would ask me to put this recipe together and um and then he'd want to taste it before i proceed well then but he was on a conference call for an hour and a half and then he was you know being interviewed by somebody like yourself right yeah. and he had all of these things going on in his own world and so just you know almost from a self-serving perspective i needed to start figuring out how i could answer those questions and move this along otherwise i'd be there till nine o'clock every night yeah right uh my day wouldn't start until his stopped in yeah, a way and that I was unfair right yeah. so so i just started you know trying to guess a little bit like what what would he do here and what would he do there right he, and he was a kind of a weird uh weird guy you know like i said the lab was right above his office and even though i had a phone that connected to his office he wanted me to stomp on the floor you know in the corner <laughs> so when the tea was ready to taste i'd go over in the corner and just smash my foot onto the floor <laughs> over and over and again right and then a half hour later he'd come up and say oh, i'm sorry it's gotten cold do you mind rebrewing it you know and so in that environment, I would, I would start to try and solve for this myself. And I would start to say, Hey, I didn't think I, I, you know, so I put a new blend together and I would say, what do you think of this? I thought the rose hips were a little light or I thought this and, and you know, I was wrong most of the time at the yeah. beginning. Um, but that started the conversation and then a shorthand developed between us and he would ask me to put up, you know, let's say 25 second flush of Sam's for him to taste for, to decide which ones to buy. Right. And so he would go up and push the bowls up and pull them back and decide, I like this one. I like this one. And, and, and I would just do the dishes. Right. And, and, but then I would ask him, why'd you, why'd you choose that one? Why, why you didn't like that one? And then in that same kind of, uh, for the same reasons, I would start to try and predict mm. what he would like. Yeah. You know, and, just listening to you talk the, the, the characteristics, the, the features about you that I'm picking up are just the curiosity, right? The natural curiosity. Why? What, what, like, okay, that's the answer, but why is that the answer? Like, give me something like I need to know why and then also the just the 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 proactivity you're, you're being very proactive you're not waiting 
uh, to be told to do something, you're anticipating needs. And I think that's a very common trait for people in hospitality and food and beverage to be ahead. You know, like, what is he going to want? Like, I'm just going to do that now because I'm, I'm anticipating these needs. I'm being proactive, not reactive, you know? Yeah. We're going to reflect on that. Yeah, no, and I think you're, you're, you're probably right. I, I perhaps humbly would, would, would just bring it back to it, it was in my best interest because <laughs> yeah. there's too many nights where he would come yeah. down at 6.30 and uh, be like, true. I'm sorry, I've been, I've been busy. <laughs> yeah. uh, can you stay till 11 o'clock blending tea, you know? But, uh, Lots but, of overtime, I'm But sure. no, you're right, Eric. And in my, in my, when I'm not making tea, Right. I um, my mom was a seamstress. Um, she she sewed wedding dresses and did things in, uh, and she's always sewed. Right. And so I sew clothes and aprons and all sorts of stuff. Did you do your own, your own aprons? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and these pants. And um, um, so I like to make clothes um, and hats and uh, I make furniture. Uh, Side note, I would never think that I would never thought the day would come when I would say to another man, you sew your own aprons. That's badass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Every, the last person I talked to, they were like, you know, not a lot of real guys sew. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, there's not that much difference between a large bandsaw and a sewing machine. Really? You push the material through and it works. And I don't know how one is manly and one is not really but but no i i like to know how things work i like to know how things are made um Mm. and i think to your point that it starts with curiosity and and i also don't trust anybody but myself Mm -hmm. and so i can read a book that tells me how a shirt is made but until i've made a shirt i don't really know Mm -hmm. like you know i take it's not that i don't trust you but it's also that I, I need to burn my hand before I, I, I know the oven's hot. I dig it, man. So yeah. what was the, the next stage for you, the evolution uh, going forward? Like how, how did you it really started? It, yeah, it really started. So when uh, we were growing fast and, and with growth becomes opportunities now. <laughs> and um, I had developed this shorthand with Steve. I kind of knew a little bit of what he liked and what he didn't like. And I knew in certain circles or in certain situations how to get there. Um, and then we needed a buyer. We needed somebody that would be responsible for making sure that we had the tea sourced. And and one thing that Steve was, um, I'm, I'm very lucky that I didn't just fall into the tea, but I fell into tea under Steve Smith, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we need to paint the picture real quick for some of the uh, listeners. Steve uh, Smith yeah. started, uh, you know, he was uh, a normal guy, grew up here in, in Oregon, um, you know, went through the hippie era uh, along with everybody else. And a bunch of uh, a bunch of hippies along with him um, started Stash Tea in the 60s, mm-hmm. right? And they sold, and that's a that's a, a podcast in itself. Is going through that, those first ten years. Uh, it started anyway. I won't even go there because I'll mess it up there. Uh, uh, and if you're interested, I'll introduce you to some folks that lived those days okay. with him. And, and it's a great story, right? So then, but they and this was before my time. But um, Stash Tea was uh, was developed. It became a pretty good sized national brand, uh, and he ended up selling it to uh, a Japanese firm, uh, Yaman, the, one Yamanoka. of the biggest in the world, right? Was I, it in eighty something like that? Something or? like that. Yeah. yeah. Again, 86. I was in elementary school at the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, and so then he went on to start Tazo. Uh, he and Steve and a bunch of other folks um, um, created the brand. Uh, and then I got, you know, I jumped on. on was that 94 they started Tazo? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Four or five years before I joined. Okay. Exactly. Yep. And uh, um, and he did it very organically and grassroots and, and built it, you know, in the Pacific Northwest and then spread his wings across the nation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're. But he made tea always in a very authentic way. Mm-hmm. Most of the people in my industry, most, are, are buying products from other companies 
and then either repackaging that under their brand name or maybe blending product A and product B together to create something that they call their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, Mother Nature doesn't make the same thing all the time. Rose petals don't taste the same from one harvest to the next, even from one garden or one field to the next, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so most people rely on the industry to homogenize and to create a consistent expectation, not just in flavor and aroma, but also in quality standards and every, uh, everything else, right? Um, Steve Steve wanted to do it himself, and right? And so long you before... Do it himself. You're talking about sourcing, going direct, to the source? Yep. And, and accepting that variability and then managing that through the recipe process. And so right now, to your right, you're seeing that there's two people in staff, on staff through those glass doors, that their sole responsibility is to remake that recipe every time we have to produce it in the factory. Right. So when we, uh, uh, for instance, when we put a, a, our. So when you're saying remake the recipe, you're not talking about the actual uh, ingredients, the the grams that you're using in each ingredient. You're talking about the profile, the taste. I'm talking about, no, I want the profile to be the same, but I'm using different materials each time to make it. And okay. they taste a little different. Okay. So, you know, one batch of our breakfast blend might be 69.3% Assam. The next time it might be 62 or it might be 59 because it depends on the Assam tea. Mm-hmm. One is, you know, super dark and gutty and rich and astringent. And the next one might be a little bit softer, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to adjust that recipe so that the finished product is consistent. Mm-hmm. And we're not looking for a Unilever um, craft foods level of, of consistency here, but uh, more of the consistency like a winemaker would be interested in. But you can't be delivered something one day that you love and the next day is disappointing. Mm-hmm. So we have to homogenize that uh, that experience. That right? makes sense. And there's one more thing I want to add before we go. Keep on going. So this we're talking about Steve Smith. Uh, that Tazo ended up being sold to Starbucks in 2016. To give you to kind of paint that big picture of why I keep bringing it back to Stephen Smith, even though this is Tony Tellen's time, because we can learn so much from an individual like that that has grown three brands. Right. A yeah. Total of three. This one's the third. Yeah. Yep. This is the third brand, and all have been really successful. So it's a lot. I mean, you being his right hand man, like he was your mentor, and he a lot of what you know was there uh has been imprinted onto you and you are kind of an extension of a lot of what his values were right not to meant not to say that you're not i mean you still got a lot of career ahead of you like i can't wait to talk to you again in 20 years and see what you're doing but uh just just so much from this individual that i'm really curious about because of what he had created multiple times so i sorry i keep on bringing it back to no no that's fine it's actually easier to talk about him (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah no no and you're right eric i mean and that's why i i find my or i feel i'm very lucky Mm. um it's not that I didn't work hard or deserve the opportunities I was given, but mm-hmm. I was also very lucky um, because he was a pretty special person. Yeah. So one thing I'm really interested about to bring it more back towards you, um, I believe in lanes. Like everybody has their lanes and successful people find other people who have certain characteristics uh, that are or complementary to themselves. Like they might be really good at other things, but here's this other person that I brought into my life because they're doing this. What lane do you think that you, you are filling? What are you like? What 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 is your lane aside from the tea making? Uh, do you have any other lanes? That's a really good question. I mean, I think uh, I'm no slouch in marketing. I'm not, um, and that's an area where I think back to Steve. I think that's an area where I I was able to learn a lot from him indir- okay. indirectly. We're going deep, man. Yeah. What did you learn uh, about marketing, being a part of these organizations, and learning from such a master? Well. And that's where I, I don't know if I could put it in. I, I feel like I have a, a an instinct for uh, for how things might be received by a consumer, 
maybe is the best way to describe it. I, I'm not, and I don't want to. You can empathize. In, in, I, I can empathize. I, I also, as a person, I am one of the world's best consumers. I buy tons of shit. Okay. I buy. <laughs> I, I love goods. I, I, uh, I How often many hats say do you own? Uh, too many, Eric. Yeah, yeah. I love hats. I love belts. I love watches. I love rings. I love. Uh, I love fashion in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always paying attention to that industry a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I, I, to steal one from Dolly Parton, it, it costs a lot to look this cheap, you know, in, in a way, but, uh, uh, but I also, I love wine. I love whiskey. I love food. Um, uh, and so I'm always kind of paying attention to, um, uh, how companies market products. Um, not on a, um, and if, and if Amy was here in marketing, she'd probably throw in a lot of, uh, yeah, but not really because I'm not paying <laughs> attention as much to price per unit and sales and discounts and things like that and different strategies for distribution. Um, but Steve, he had a natural instinct for that as well. And, and one of the benefits, and I think you, you mentioned it earlier is if, you know, the, the next head tea maker for Smith tea will be asked to come in and. Um, do some of the same responsibilities for, as, as I do, right? They'll, they'll need to source product. They'll need to make sure that, you know, we have what we need when we need it. They'll need to reformulate or create new products, right? Mm-hmm. What they won't have is what you get when you're really small, which is being part of all those little conversations. They won't be uh, directly involved with the, the conversations with distributors and customers. They won't be um, you know, in conversations with banks for loans or investors and, and things like that. And I think that's, you know, in, in retrospect, what, um, why I feel so lucky to have had the history I had is, is I was able to be part of all those conversations. So not just related to how to buy tea or how to make tea, um, but you know, uh, how, to, um, how to sell the concept to an investor. What's um, the lesson there? I mean, I think personally, and, and you said you like cheese, here you go. I mean, I think it's um, be yourself. Don't try to be what you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make uh, your proposition what it isn't, right? Be 100% honest. Um, it, it doesn't mean that you have to play all your cards necessarily, but, but I think authenticity and, and having just a frank, organic conversation is always the best route. Yeah. You know, and it's, I'm, I'm happy that you say that. One thing I say often on the show is before you can do, you must be. You must yeah. be a certain person, and the more I talk to all these incredible people, these incredible people who are extremely successful, uh, they all are a kind of person that is, is you, you kind of gravitate gravitate towards them, their values and what they stand for. And I really do believe before you go out and you try to do something or open something, you got to work on yourself first. The journey starts inward, right? And you got to know who you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you got to live, you got to experience, you got to figure out what resonates with you before you can go out and do stuff because what you do is going to be an extension of who you are. So if you want whatever you're doing to be amazing, first become an incredible person, you know, and, and find out what really you're passionate about because that passion is going to come through with everything you do. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. You've heard the expression, fake it until you make it. Yeah. Like, I don't believe in that. Yeah. I, I, I think it doesn't mean that you can't make that work, but usually it's a, a very expensive way to go. Yeah. Well, when know? I think like, of fake it till you make it, I think of what we were talking about earlier. Just start. Right. You know, just, just start. Just and then you're start. not going to know what the hell you're doing. And you're going to have to like, uh, and what you start doing isn't going to be what you end doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you also have to be flexible because uh, if you, here's one of my favorite quotes ever is, uh, uh, plans are a good way to make God laugh. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can make all the plans you want and yeah. you think it's going to roll out this way, but, uh, it's not, mm. you know, maybe if you're lucky, 80% of it is going to work the way you think it's going to, but you have to be able to be flexible and you get out, you start. 
and then you adjust yep and then you continue rolling on mm-hmm. and then uh and then i think y- you touched on something that i'll admit to you um in my early career i tried to be steve mm. in a way and and that wasn't very successful for me it, or or i was successful but i don't think i was as successful as i could have been um and and that was just being young and and somewhat naive right and and he was the mentor and so i was learning from him yeah. and i just tried to, to you know i i i even at times you know tried to maybe not dress like him but i i kind of took on some of his styles a little bit um and uh, i think it was later in my career where it wasn't like this you know immediate um uh, decision necessarily but at some point in time you know i think uh, i became more successful when i i didn't try to be him i tried to be me uh, and just operate the way he would operate no i mean I, i'm picking up what you're putting down and i think when we're young you know you started working with this guy when you're 20 years old and for males particularly our frontal lobe doesn't really develop until we're 26 28 and we don't yeah, really have 32 that. for me yeah, yeah we're yeah. not really yeah exactly <laughs> me too we're not yeah. really mindful of who we are we don't know our identity we don't really have that that self-reflection that that uh you know that that ability to get like outside of ourselves and like really reflect on who we are and what matters to us. So it makes sense that, you know, you gravitate towards somebody that you admire and you try to be like that person. But over time, you really start to figure out who you are. And you can't be just like, you'll never be as good of a Stephen Smith as Stephen Smith was. No, (laughs) but you'll be the best Tony uh, telling ever, you know, like you're going to be the best version of yourself ever. And that's what people have to realize. Like just be yourself, be the best version of you ever. Um, wonder what, yeah, well, and I think that that's most transparent with me in um, maybe products we've made uh, yeah. under my watch in mm-hmm. a way is, um, you know, Meadow uh, is our chamomile blend. That that blend I couldn't make, I wouldn't make. If you asked me to put together a Meadow blend, it wouldn't, or a chamomile blend, it wouldn't be Meadow, mm-hmm. right? Now, I know how to make it. I make it every day uh, or every other day, um, but it's not really my cup of tea in a way. <laughs> is that a pun intended? A right little there? bit of pun intended. Uh, it's awesome. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I use it at home in a lot of different ways. So I'm not trying to uh, distract. And, and, and here's where I'd say I have a long way to learn before I'm able to execute on his, uh, in his uh, level of excellence, I guess. I got you. But, but um, what, what he wouldn't do is smoked hibiscus with tropical puree on top and mm-hmm. he wouldn't call it a hot rod hibiscus. You know, the inspiration for that was, you know, this, you know, a uh, hot rod racing for pink slips, you know, flames licking down the side of a cherry red type of thing. Yeah. Um, he was a little bit more white tablecloth and I was a little bit, more, I'm a little bit more cowboy, but, uh, a lot embracing that. Mm-hmm versus trying to be something I wasn't, which is what I was doing when I was younger, is I was trying to uh, refine and elevate and and not to use kind of cliche overplayed words, but uh, I was trying to I was trying to roll like Steve instead of learning from him and using those skills and then rolling the way I should roll. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and um, one one thing I am I want to make sure we leave time for is uh, really kind of going into the process because. One thing you mentioned, I wanted to highlight this before, is that he brought you in on a lot of things, not just the tasting, but on all the business aspects. And he taught you tasting, but he also taught you business, right? Did I catch that? Did I hear that? Yeah, not not as like a school, you know? And that was the kind of the way he also taught. He never, he never would say, here's what you're going to learn today, 
right? Yeah. He would just live and let me watch him. Yeah. And, and just so bring it was you up in. to me to ask a few questions and you, you know, and I'd ask, you know, 10 and get responses to eight. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how much I learned. Um, uh, so it wasn't like a school of Steve by mm -hmm. any means. But yes, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was able to be a part of all those conversations. Well, that's kind so of the I point. So I directly is, learned yeah, a lot. Is yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Like, if you're listening to this and you're managing a business, and like, bring your people into the conversation. They might have a, a certain point of view. They might have an idea. This, or, or just educating them and growing your people. And that's what the most successful restaurateurs or whatever businessmen do or women do is they mold their people. They educate their people. They don't just say, do your job. Just focus on this. They say, hey, come over here. Yeah, um, they build talent exactly. as well as buy talent, and exactly. I think I think there's a big a, a big thing. Steve was um, he was uh, he he allowed people to grow. He helped them grow. He allowed them to fail. He didn't. Uh, don't get me wrong. If I mean, he wouldn't allow failure to continue mm -hmm. by any means. But you got to go through it to learn. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and I think. Um, uh, it was rewarding to see somebody that would say, uh, I know you don't know a lot about accounting, but, um, but I can help you. We can get through this, take some courses here, do some things here. We'll figure it out. And then eventually, of course, we're going to need to hire somebody that knows more than either of us. Mm -hmm. Um, but you'll continue to still be a part of that process. But I will say, and I don't want to say it's the youth or a generational thing, cause I don't know enough about it, but I will say that sometimes, people give employees or partners that opportunity and they screw it up by if you're a fly on the wall be a fly on the wall you don't if, if your boss invites you to come into a meeting with some finance partners to talk about loans don't jump in and act like you know what you're doing <laughs> yeah. and start talking about things and ruining the yeah. uh the conversation you know yeah. be a fly on the wall absorb absorb <laughs> man because i do think that it seems more and more these days uh, there's some very opinionated folk that know everything and want to jump involved with conversations yeah and you can share your opinions there's a time and place for it maybe after write the it meeting. down after and, like, the bring meeting. it up in conversation exactly, exactly. uh yeah. but yeah man I, I hear what you're saying and um so yeah, I love that poncho. Yeah, I saw that poncho. There's a uh, customer just walked in with a, a beautiful poncho on. I wish I had the balls to wear a poncho. I kind of like do that. too, Eric. I don't. I, I think I could own one, but I don't know if I'd wear it. But yeah, or it I would hang do. on my wall. Yeah. Um. So I want a motorcycle to go with it. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just flapping in the wind yeah. behind you. Anyway, uh, bringing it, trying to stay focused here. I'm not really great at it. So, um, one thing I do want to dive into. Uh, 2006 is when Stephen Smith opened Stephen Smith Tea. And you were on board for the entire... 2009. Oh, sorry. 2009. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. You kind of got to... Were you a fly on the wall for the whole process of developing the brand, developing the mission, the core values? Uh, How did you bring into that? You know, 80% of it, maybe mm -hmm. 60% of it. Um, he, he, had, he had his concept somewhat fully baked a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, before I got involved. I was still working at Tazo at the time. He left before I did. Um, uh, and... And when he came back, he went, you know, he went on vacation. He had a non-compete with Starbucks for a year, right? So he left the company and took a, a year and, and lived in southern France and ate good food and drank good wine and learned how to wear a scarf. And uh, and then he moved back and wanted, <laughs> to, start, wanted to start a third, right? Okay. And so uh, I talked to him. He said, I'm back in town. You should come check out what I'm doing, right? And uh, at the time, I was kind of thinking... 
maybe uh, I've been making furniture for a long time and, and I thought at the time maybe that I would try and do something in that space a little bit. Um, and I was actually on a six month sabbatical with Starbucks Coffee Company. And so I was just, uh, I was just doing some R&R. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so I went and checked him out, uh, checked this building out. So he had just rented this, uh, this cool building up in Northwest Portland. Um, so I met him there and he's like, I'm gonna do another tea company, right? And, uh, uh, and you wanna help out. And I actually uh, was hired originally to you know, restain some stairs and do some woodworking, um, built out the lab area and uh, some cabinetry for samples and stuff like that. And then, and then uh, a project came along and he needed some help and so I helped him with that and then one project and one project and one project and before I knew it, he was like, you know, why don't you just jump on board? And, and so it was kind of this little like nibble effect. Yeah. And he sucked it back effect. in. But again, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, he, he has this personality. You just kind of, you, you know, I, I took a, uh, well, I took like an 85% pay cut and, uh, left my job with the green dot and, uh, <laughs> started working with him so again. why what was it about because uh, i could learn something and mm. i could have fun and i could have a, a an environment and a boss and a mentor that you know uh, eric we had a relationship where i could walk in his office and say what the fuck this is not working <laughs> yeah. you know and 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 we could yell at each other and yeah. at the end uh we knew we were both coming at it from the right space mm -hmm. and, and uh and we work it out yeah um, but, i'm so happy you're, you're saying this because it comes up time and time again on the show and I can't put enough emphasis on it. Don't take a job for what you're going to make, take a job, for what you're going to learn because it's that value becoming a person of value, learning these skills, learning these, getting all this new knowledge, the relationships that you're going to get from that job, right? Become a person of value because that value will determine your, you know, your, that value will, you can put a price on that eventually someday. But if you're just taking a job because of a few extra dollars an hour here and there, like you're not going to grow, you're not going to get ahead. And it's way more valuable to, to think long term. And I think, you know, and here's where I'm not a pro, but I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a statement. All right. I read something a while back that, uh, that 20 years ago or something, the average person was at a job for 10 years or 15 years. Right. And I think today it's like a Five. year and a half or <laughs> Maybe, two yeah. or something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and the way you get ahead now is you take this opportunity to leverage this opportunity and you bounce from employer to employer and you go from a, uh, a product specialist to a product technician, to a VP of something and to a president of something. Right. Yeah. But in that process, you don't learn dick all in between mm -hmm. that. So what you end up with is a bunch of high level folks that don't really know that industry mm -hmm. that well. Uh, it is no a, offense to all VPs. And, it's a and weird time right now, but, though, because at the same time, the industry is changing. All industries are changing faster than ever. And businesses, uh, whole like markets come and go faster than ever before too. So sure. sure you sure. know, like you might be, you might spend 10, 15 years someplace and that industry might just disappear yeah. because of the, like the, the change in the technology and all these things. And there's also the risk of, you know, you spend a lot of time learning from one person and then that dissolves to your point and how much of that's replicable or transferable to a different, you know, employer or a yeah. different industry. And that, and that's fair. But I you know, I don't pretend to know the meaning of life, but I will say that uh, it doesn't hurt to grow in any nope. way, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I I like to learn stuff. Yeah. One area and it might be might be difficult to kind of dive into, but I think there's going to be a lot of value here when we get into it is the um you know, you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit working for somebody like Stephen Smith and you were trying to be Stephen Smith and eventually you realized you got to be yourself. Um, when 
Stephen did pass. Yeah. Um, and he left this this business behind to his wife and you to kind of to like run it from what I was able to gather. What was that transition like from having your mentor to having the person that you, you're learning from and to to have to continue that type of greatness and to to do it in your in your way you know what i mean and, and with your style and your uh you know, you know being being to- tony telling you know what was that transition like how how did you bear that load i don't really know the answer to that question mm. honestly and i would say is it that, a tough question <laughs> no it's not a tough question i just don't know that i think it's an answer that i'll ponder on for many years i mm-hmm. just just two weeks ago i was in india uh mm-hmm. and i um was at a few gardens in darjeeling um darjeeling was a very um of all the origins around the world that we've traveled with together, Darjeeling represented something really special to Steve. There was always, I always, you know, kind of joked he was Nepalese in a past life because he was just drawn to those hills for some reason. Um, and, and, and to, to make it short and sweet, I think going through the hills and then walking through and meeting people in Calcutta and a flood of old memories came back and, it kind of made me realize, Eric, that I hadn't really ever actually mourned or went through that process. Um, uh, we were growing fast when Steve passed away. We were trying to build this building out that we're sitting in right now. Um, uh, that's a huge project. Yeah, right? I can't even imagine. And we had all of this stuff going on um, and and trying to secure financing uh, and, and investment partners and um, and then and then the emotional side of, of, of Steve who was uh, one of the world's largest optimists. I mean, I think, uh, I don't think he even thought he was going to pass away until it happened. Mm. Um, And so he would continue, you know, email about business. You know, the last meeting I I had with him, um, the last time I sat with him, you know, hospice is trying to do their thing and we're preparing to say goodbye and everything. And we're talking about, you know, marketing strategies and, and how we probably shouldn't have hung our hat on certain things and all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it, things were moving fast. I didn't really, I didn't jump in with a plan. Um, it was, it was, you know, a friend needed help and let's not make him, let's not let him down. Right. Mm. And, um, and then, and now that I look back on it and I see the, what I did that was different, what I did that was the same, um, how we kind of supported the business, it wasn't as much strategy as I would like to pretend it was. Uh, I think honestly it was just emotional and it was, um, stay busy, um, follow your heart, stay busy. So you didn't think about it. Yeah. To be honest, mm. you know, uh, and, and I don't mean that there wasn't, you know, um, some points where there was some strategy involved, but it, it, but my kind of role as the captain of the T ship wasn't that strategic. It okay. was really keep doing what I've been doing. And, uh, and then when somebody said they wanted to do something new, um, a, a new flavor, a new execution, a new, uh, bottled tea, a keg, uh, new lattes, things like that. Um, that's where, uh, that was just a, a difference in personality. Mm-hmm. The next creative person for Smith, whoever that is, at some point in time, they will bring a slightly different uh, picture mm-hmm. to that, right? Um, their own kind of tweaks and their own flavor preferences. Okay. Uh, so what do you think it is today about Stephen Smith tea that makes it successful? Well, I think we're very authentic. Uh, and, and I hope that, um, you know, 
let me just start by saying I would love it if you asked a bunch of other people that question. But for <laughs> me, what's important and why I think this is successful is that um, we're not trying to be something we're not. We're, um, we're directly linked to the growers, the farmers, the producers in different origins throughout the world. And the people we're buying tea from are people that um, I was just, you know, hanging out with uh, the Chirmars. And the Chirmars son, I babysat when he was like three and now he's working in the company and is, you know, going to be the head of the company here pretty soon. Wow. Right. Uh, and so I've known these people for a very long time and they're, they're not suppliers. They're not vendors. They're just, um, they're partners of ours they're people. and, um, and they're people. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, what we do is just a natural extension, uh, extension, uh, 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 of those guys. And then, and then I think it's a little bit of, um, being respectful to the cultural and um, uh, significance of tea. Yeah. I mean, tea is such a, a personal beverage and it has such a long history. Um, um, and there's a lot of tradition and ceremony and cultural uh, aspects that get wrapped up into tea. And, and we're respectful to that, but we're just not really confined by it. Um, you know, uh, one of the biggest smiles I have on my face is when a uh, somebody from North India walks through our door and sees masala chai on draft and then tries it and it's like, well, shit, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah. I, it's not like a chai wala would serve in Calcutta, but it's pretty tasty, mm -hmm. right? Um, those are the kind of things that really, you know, give me a lot of uh, uh, of spirit and put a smile on my face. You know, the word that keeps coming into my head listening to you speak is a word that I love, and it's called, it's impact. Impact. And there's and there's this. Uh, there's this trend happening right now across all industries where uh, it's not so much about how big we can get, but how impactful can we be? What story can we tell? Who who are we in what makes us us? What what is our brand and how does this resonate with something higher, you know, with something that matters to other people? What to, what what can we do that other people want to be a part of? Sure. Right? Sure. And, and the, looking at your brand and what you guys are doing here, it reminds me a lot of like third wave coffee, right? Where and now it's about sourcing the bean and where am I getting this bean from and what are all the the variables that come into what made this bean grow? The, the weather, the the conditions, the the techniques, the the soil, all the these things and telling the story behind the bean or in, the, in your case, the, the leaf. leaf. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that impact, that impact that we have going to this, the source every time or supporting the small farmer and th th that impact, the story behind the leaf, right? And all this, that, that depth, not going out, not getting big, but going deep. Uh, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. That's the vision that I have when, when I'm listening to you. It, it's doing big things for small audiences mm. instead of doing small things for big audiences mm -hmm. is I think, you know, something, um, that isn't necessarily, you know, that uh, I'm not saying that our design, we're designed to do that, but, but we're also, you, I think very similar to Elias, who you just met with across the street. Um, I think both of us are roll up your sleeves, get started. And, and um, it doesn't mean that things have to be hard to be cool. But most oftentimes, the harder things are the cooler things uh, is, is to go through a little bit of that extra effort mm -hmm. um, to make it just a little bit more unique. Did he talk to you about the, 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 the tea we made together? I mean, no, he did that's not. That's an interesting no. uh, example. So, 
You know, he's a, we do a maker series where we have a guest did you guys, guy. Did you guys yeah. like use meat in your tea or something? No, we thought about it. We thought about it. Uh, no, but I thought, I thought that might be going a little too far actually. Although the, we were playing around with maybe aging tea in uh, intestines for a little while. That was kind of an interesting concept and maybe for uh, down the road. But no, we remade um, Pims, you know, like the, the British liqueur, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, we wanted to do something that was very British, uh, um, because he was maker 007 and, you know, so the bond uh. reference, we wanted to kind of bring this, you know, great Britain kind of feel to it. And, uh, so we, we remade PIMS, um, and in the process. So what we did was we steeped, um, you know, some barks and roots and, and, uh, and peels along with some fresh orange zest, um, in water for 10 to 15 minutes. We basically made a reduction at this point. Um, and then we mixed it with an aged balsamic, a little bit of white vinegar, um, some sugar, uh, and, uh, and then bottled that. And, and in that recipe, so there's, what, 300 grams of tea in each bottle. It, uh, it took us six days to make 400 bottles, I think, or something like that. Uh, we hand-filled each one. We labeled each one by hand. It's not profitable. It's not scalable. Uh, it tastes awesome and it was a lot of fun and we learned a lot in the process. Um, but these projects for us and, and, and we have to remind ourselves of this too, Eric, this is not like I'm just, I'm not trying to preach, but, um, doing projects like that from time to time where you're not bound by scalability or profitability, um, are really what you'll learn from. And then you can take some mm-hmm. of these learnings and then use them in other sides of yeah. your business. Yeah, I think right? it takes some time to get to that point because you guys obviously have your channels of revenue, your your you know your cash cows that are bringing the cash in, so you can focus on these side of projects. Because if you were just doing those side projects, you know, you got to keep it, the lights on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you got to keep the lights on for yeah. sure. I but don't mean. I hear what you're saying as far as doing these side projects to learn, to expand, and to be and inspired. To, exactly. Yep. And yep. you can't just do the same thing over and over again. You gotta you've got to get out there. You gotta you got to keep it interesting or else you're just going to burn out. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So the only thing I would say is if, if some of your listeners are, you know, um, uh, have their own companies or, or want to have their own companies in the future. Uh, my only advice is to structure something like that. That's baked into your DNA. That is specifically that it doesn't have to be profitable. It doesn't have to be scalable because it's easy to, uh, to your point, uh, cause you also have to turn the business side on. Right. And, uh, and it's hard to, uh, sometimes it's easy that maybe is a better way to say it, to kind of push yourself into thinking about profitability from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those, those projects that are really built to learn and to inspire, um, have long legs that reach all throughout your business. Yes. And you have to have the confidence that that business, that your business will be good, mm-hmm. uh, is my humble opinion. I've loved this free-flowing portion of the conversation. Oh, here we go. Uh, now, is, huh? is there anything else that you want to get out that we didn't touch on before moving to the speed round? No, I don't think so. All right, man. You've yeah. been crushing it, Tony. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors so I can keep this road trip going, and then I will be right back. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there, too. Here 
here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in-breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I have to stay moving. Stay moving. I don't like to be in one space for too often. I'm in my office. I'm in the lab. Uh, I'll go for walks, um, especially if I'm trying to think of something creatively um, or, or problem solve something move from space to space and uh and pay attention because usually the answer is right in front of you uh you know pay attention i love it what is your biggest weakness i'm distractible <laughs> i hear that man. <laughs> uh, i try to do too much yeah what right <laughs> moving around too much yeah uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview pro- or like when you're growing your team or start trying to surround yourself with team members uh is that your world yeah. I mean, hey, you can't do cool shit with ordinary people. I said this to you earlier. I, I'm a firm believer of it. Um, I usually try to ask more personal questions, uh, which is getting more difficult in today's day and age. But um, what's your what's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie? What what do you enjoy? Right. And really try to give them. I don't like the whole. Tell me about a time where you had a problem that went bad. And, and what did you do to correct it? And how did you value map upstream to the proper, you know, <laughs> I just get lost in that kind of shit. Yeah, tell me so. who you are. Like, you know, get, make it personal. And, and uh, I go with my heart more yeah. than my brain mm. when it comes to hiring. What's a current challenge today? Current challenging is, is teaching. I'm a better, um, I'm better at learning than I am at teaching. And, uh, and in, in a world that is, um, uh, preference and 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 you know flavor and aroma is, is it's not as black and white mm-hmm. um uh it's it's more difficult than i thought mm-hmm. uh share one code of conduct or behavior you teach 
have fun, be respectful, um, get the job done. I, I don't really have a code of conduct I teach necessarily, Eric. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, one thing I think if you were interviewing my team, I think you'd hear me say often is, well, we just got to get started, throw a dart up, because uh, I can get frustrated at time when we're uh, brainstorming on a new product, let's say. Um, there's value in brainstorming, but then there's also take these three things and try it, because yeah. out of those three things, more ideas will come and it does no good for in my opinion to sit for two hours and talk around a table like so throw a dart is what yeah. i often say <laughs> throw a dart on the wall and then you'll know you know how how to correct it the next throw reminds me of ready fire aim yeah uh and you know just pull the trigger throw the dart where did you end up correct correct exactly yep. exactly absolutely yeah. what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team i mean i don't would you call them baristas or like what would you call somebody who does What's yeah, that? I don't know. That's a damn good question. See, some people steeper? Would say, yeah, steeper or T-Rista. I don't really like any of that shit. I, I would, I, I call him partner, right? Okay. <laughs> what, what I want, you know, if you were walking in, I hope that our staff, um, you're like, I wonder, is he a part owner or, you know, I don't really want, I don't like titles and mm -hmm. I don't like this, uh, uh, T specialist or Rista title. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like you to wonder if this is uh, an owner or yeah. uh, uh, I hope that we have a sense of ownership over it. Yeah. And what's really cool right now being on the road and what I can do is experience the service before talking to people sure. and like get to yeah. like pick up on some stuff. Yeah, I yeah, walked yeah. in here. I heard from Elias to come down here and to check things out. And I, I was a guest before I even got to in, like introduce myself. Yeah, you're sneaky like exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things I love being a guest as far as the service goes was that uh, the, the there's no pretentiousness here. And I think that a lot of uh, companies will try to be fancy or find find that dining or whatever. And tea can be kind of intimidating. There's a lot of unknowns. It's, there's a lot of it's it's intimidating because you don't know anything about it. For a lot of people, like I'm one of those people. I'm learning as I go. Sure, sure. But there's sure. this culture of just like nah, no, don't like just 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 try it. And and uh, like we have so many rules in the world of tea, and and it's off putting to some. And I think um, and I think you're right. And I didn't mean to interrupt. But the other part that I often you know tell people is and and I didn't do as good a job when I was younger either. Is you don't have to know everything. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to say shit i don't know that's yeah. interesting i've yeah. never heard that but the, yeah but just the, the, this energy of like welcoming and like hey man like you don't know you don't need to know shit like you say about tea like we got you like what do you like and and just you make it approachable and i think that is a, a really cool uh level of service uh of that of like making people feel comfortable and like okay it's cool that i don't know shit like, yeah exactly okay. like, yeah that's fair yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah i dig yeah. that yeah. um what's one book to make us a better person or restaurant or uh tea uh, aficionado. <laughs> okay, know. I just came out of the Darjeeling Hills, so it's a little inspired by that, but I would say Many Men, Many Lives, Many Masters. Many Men, Many Lives, Many Masters. Everybody should read that. It's what? not about business. It's it's a little spiritual, but I think you'll find whether you want to believe in reincarnation or whether you're Christian or Buddhist or Hindu, I, I don't care. Just read it. It's an interesting book, and I think you'll take something What's from it. What's the biggest lesson you took from that? Uh, that we're all making it up as we go. We're all trying to do the best we can. We all want something to guide us, whether it's a person, a feeling, uh, a, a quest for purpose. understanding, a purpose, or however you want to define it. We're all the same, and really. And, um, and, and I think, uh, you know, along those lines of you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a master. Uh, there's a, there's a, a humble um, humility that I think uh, resonates with me when I read that book. I dig it. Share one online resource or tool you leverage. 
I don't, re- you know, nothing's making me feel more old than uh, IT, really. Uh, <laughs> um, I just got introduced to Slack. Okay. And uh, it's actually quite, I, I only know how to use about 10% of it, but it, it's actually quite great for disseminating information to yeah. a large audience. Um, uh, I'm part of the American T, uh, I don't even know what's called, Frontier or something. This is a new um, um, uh, kind of alliance or association to kind of help um folks that you know have problems right so if somebody has a challenge with where to source something or 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 a technical challenge they can write in and then there's a group of advisors that can help right um, but it's really just connecting people uh, so i think it's those type of platforms whether it's slack or something else yeah. i think those platforms that allow people around the world to share information okay that's fantastic what's one technology within these four walls that you're excited about, that you're leveraging, that's having a positive influence on uh, profitability, communication, efficiency, anything like that? Well, I mean, you're talking about a pretty ancient old area here. Yeah, I know. Uh, area I, here. I'm thinking I, about this as I'm asking it. Yeah, one of the questions yeah, I, yeah I could tell guests. you our POS system is pretty, you know, but it's... You guys uh, use Square, right? I don't even know anymore, Eric. Oh, no, it's uh, Revel. I'm sorry. It's Revel. You're using yeah, Revel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I Do think you know Square why they went with, with Revel? What was well, the... we're QuickBooks, and I don't know anymore. There's been... Uh, it's, it's one of the things when we were small, I, I could tell you, and I was intimate with our POS <laughs> yeah. system, but as we've grown, I've been uh, happily allowing those things to be taken off my plate. All right. I'll throw a rebel, rebel in there as rebel, the resource you rebel. recommend. Or the no, I, recommend. I think um, uh, there's some good, as far as production goes, because that's kind of where my focus is a little bit. I think... Um, um, we got the, a train coming. Yeah, the train, the train <laughs> is coming. Welcome to Southeast Portland. Uh, <laughs> the machinery that's right behind the glass that yep. you can see, right? Um, that's pretty high tech. You know, the world of packing has been going on for a long time, right? Unilever started this 100 years ago or whatever, but... Uh, it, it's still volume. It's still it's non-volumetric. It's weighed out to the tenth of a gram, and we can we can basically yeah, you know I can specify that this is two point seven grams. Time out. Oh, you don't want this color. <laughs> I don't know if they're gonna be able to hear you. <laughs> so during this little uh, timeout break, I'll tell you that we we bought this building or we rented this building uh, and we built it out. It used to be a uh, a shingle company, asphalt shingle company, okay. right? It was just a disaster. It looked like you'd lit a fire in it and walked away, right? Um, and so we built all of this that you see, and we did all of this. And it, and like any project, it came in way over our timeline, way over our budget, uh, and we walked in. And then we realized, and we talked to our neighbors after the fact, and realized that the previous tenants had started a war with the engineers of the railway. <laughs> and on this intersection, they honk their horn like a son of a bitch. <laughs> they, they hold it down for 45 seconds. Just, and then they'll go two blocks over, and it's nothing. And uh, I've heard from the guys across the street that the contractors used to moon them. And they used to have this back and forth. And so it's been an ongoing. But at the same time, that's funny. You should probably continue that tradition. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. I don't know. Right. Uh, I think we're, we're quiet enough if you want to pick up your train of thought. Technology-wise, the machine that's packing the tea is pretty pretty badass. It's um, it's very precise. Mm-hmm. It, it allows us to execute um, uh, you know, with much, much more precision than you had 30 okay. years ago. Is that a, can you name the, the machine? Yeah, the, it's the a maker? Fuso. It's okay. a Fuso and it's not uncommon by any means, but okay. when you look at it compared to machines, How do you spell that? F-U-S-O. It's okay. from Japan. And um, you know, when you look at your old double chambered paper tea bags, you know, those are, are high speed packing, but you know, only a certain type of material can go in it. Uh, and get those type of results and they're not as they're they're more for speed than precision Mm -hmm. this is slow uh, very slow at you know at 3,000 
bags an hour is what it clocks out at on paper. We get it at like 2200 or 2400 because <laughs> our blends aren't necessarily designed for speed. Um, but being able to be that more precise allows us to deliver, you know, just a better experience in the cup. Awesome. All right. This is the last question. Right. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your uh, your tea mixes or whatever future endeavors you encounter would be, would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true uh, about the good of, of humanity and for just your, your legacy. What would those three things be? The three things you could leave behind. Holy shit, Eric. Come on. <laughs> uh... Like I say, I'm a new dad, so uh, you know I would, of course, be steering this to my kids. I think. Uh, what values would you want your kids to have? The three I things? would want them to slow down a bit, for mm. one. Um, you know, I think it's sad that that my industry. One of our biggest challenges is that it takes you know three to five minutes to make our product, um, and how difficult it is to get somebody to spend three to five minutes on something. That's a ch- uh, I think that's sad, yeah. really, uh, in a way. And I think it, it's good that we can move fast and share information quicker and more efficient, mm-hmm. but but slowing down and, and enjoying the roses. That's one. Two, um, have fun. Again, it, it, life's too short, man. Have as much fun. And then three would be, if you're not making at least two mistakes a week, you're not having enough fun. <laughs> <How's> <laughs> I that? love it. How's I love that? it. This has been a great conversation, Tony. Uh, I've loved every bit of it. Let the folks at home know, uh, how can we connect? How can we follow you if we want to maybe come join your team or uh, just see what's going on over here? Well, Smith Tea Maker is growing fast, and so there's a lot of opportunities coming up. Um, Smith SmithTea.com, you know, we post all of our our, our hirings there. Um, you can check out, you know, stories of new products and collaborations there. Um, if you're in Portland ever, please stop by one of our two tasting rooms. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're in Seoul, South Korea, we have a tasting room there as well with wow. a, a business partner there that's just awesome. Um, if uh, I ever take restaurant unstoppable. Uh, internationally to Seoul, South Korea. I know who to reach out to. Please do. I'll connect you with a lot of <laughs> nice. fun people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and same goes for China, Nepal, India, uh, Japan, uh, and in most parts of Southeast Asia. Beautiful. Um, all right. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Again, thank you so much. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire in the industry? I think we make a great guest on the show. Somebody I need to make an example in the tea industry, tea or whatever, uh, food um, and beverage. Food and beverage, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna say tea because I think you're gonna yeah. get a lot of people in uh, in the food and beverage space, and in here in Portland, that's a hard one. But I think you should talk to Joshua at Rishi. Joshua at Rishi, look yep. up, coming yep. after you. Yeah. All right, and uh, that's it. Thanks again so much for just taking the time uh, to share your story, to share your knowledge, to share your advice. There is no questioning, Tony. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tony telling, telling a great story, sharing some great knowledge. I love this conversation. I think the things that really resonated with me in today's conversation, uh, this idea of not waiting to make things happen, uh, being curious, asking questions, being proactive, and I also really enjoyed his advice on you know, having your mentors, learning from your mentors, observing, uh, maybe even like looking up and copying them to a certain point, but eventually getting your own voice, getting in touch with who you are and focusing on being that authentic version of yourself. And once you find that balance of taking what these other people teach you in your life and then 
finding out what really matters to you and what really sings to you and getting close to who you really are and then marrying those the knowledge and that the authenticity of who you are and what your values are. I think that's I think that's where magic really starts to happen, especially with developing your brand and living intentionally because you can't live intentionally until you know what your values are until you know what matters to you. And the only way to really figure that out is by getting out there, experiencing different things, meeting new people and living. And I think Tony is a great example of that. So great stuff today. Like always, guys, please do reach out to me. Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com is my email, Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore and Facebook slash restaurant unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. I'm always looking to connect with my listeners. And also, uh, I could use your help. If you are finding value in this podcast, the best way to support this sucker, the best compliment is by sharing it. The mission is to inspire, empower, and transform our industry. We transform each other by sharing knowledge, sharing values, sharing virtues. Uh, and I, I'll get the information. I'll put it in one spot where we can all find it, but it's up to you guys to help me spread the word and share this with anybody you know who's aspiring to be great. So thank you in advance if you have been sharing it. And all right, guys, uh, that's all for today. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.